Would you read God's word with me as we put it upon the screen here? We're going to be in Psalm chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 7 through 11. If you would, please read along with me. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shield, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. So although today is uh, the day when we recognize our graduating class of 2018, it's also a day where we need to understand some of the truth um, of God's Word. And we need to do that every day. And so today, hopefully, we're going to unwrap some of that. It's not hard to, to see if you turn on the news for even just a moment, especially in the last few days, that the world is a mad place. Um, we, we don't have to look far. Even in our own state, um, with, with another school shooting that just took place in, in Santa Fe ISD. When we look at the news, when we see the media, when we see our surroundings, it's clear that there is something wrong, that there is an imbalance somewhere, that, that something is not right. And, and, it, and we can easily jump on political things and we can jump on all sorts of other factors and say, well, if we just fixed this or if we just had a new law or a new legislation or whatever, that it would fix the problem. And, and we're not going to get into all of that this morning, but I, I want to say this. As Christians, we need to understand that no matter what happens, no matter what befalls, no matter what horrific thing occurs, God is still God. And he still sits on his throne. And he's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. And he's not unconcerned. I firmly believe that when these sort of tragedies happen, and not just these major tragedies, but even the tragedies within your own context and your own life, that when these things occur, God is not silent. And God is not indifferent. You see, God cares for his people, and he's never not cared for his people, and he will never cease caring for his people. That is a promise that we can hold on to and cling to. And that is why even when the things happen that, that bother us or that scare us or that disturb us, it's okay to understand that, that fear will well up. It's okay to understand that, that you will have moments of insecurity but my hope today to the seniors and to all the adults in the room is that you would hear this message. Regardless of what goes on, we have reasons to not be shaken. And we're going to explore this through this passage in Psalm. And we're going to understand why even when fear and trepidation creeps in, and by the way, it will. Um, I had a pastor tell me before uh, that everybody is in one of three stages. You're either going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're leaving a storm, and that cycle repeats. 
So maybe you're on the front end of it, maybe you're in the middle of it, maybe you're on the back end of it and getting ready to go into another one at some point. But wherever you are on that spectrum or that scale, understand this. We have reason for courage and reason to not be dismayed because the Lord has not forgotten us. And regardless of what everyone else says or what the media says or what the world says, God is good. And so we're going to kind of explore this today in in Psalm 16. Now, as believers, our hearts should be set at ease. And I don't mean that we're we're unconcerned or that we're not uh, caring about the things that are going on, but our hearts should be at ease in the sense of an eternal security. Our hearts should be at ease in the sense that knowing that even though we can't control all the factors that are happening, that God has complete control. We would do well to remember that God is sovereign and that because he is sovereign and because he is good, that ultimately he will rectify all wrongs. And we should be able to rest in that. And the reason I think that we don't rest in it is because so oftentimes it's easier for us to try to handle it ourselves. And so we, we, try, to, we try to take God's role and apply it to our lives. We say, well, listen, God, you're not moving fast enough. You're not doing what I want you to do. So therefore, I'm going to take over and I'm going to fix this. And then we find ourselves in a much bigger mess than we already had. As Christians, we need to rest securely knowing that there are certain things that we possess as believers that can never be tarnished or robbed or taken away. They exist because of the goodness of God who inhabits us. And so we're going to kind of explore this. And so I'm talking to the seniors today, but I'm talking to everyone in this room today. I'm talking to myself today to remember this. One of the first things that we get that can never be robbed or taken away for those of us who trust in the Lord is we get the benefit of wisdom. And this is not a wisdom that is just easy to come by. It's not a wisdom that we could develop. It's not a wisdom that comes from our own thinking. This is the wisdom that comes from God. You see, our our wisdom gets us into a lot of trouble, right? Our wisdom gets us into a a lot of trouble. And and let me just showcase this. In Genesis chapter 3, one of the most profound things, if not the most profound thing for humanity ever occurred. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had perfection. They had everything where they needed it to be. God had provided every possible need for them. And then we see in Genesis 2, before we even get to 3, that God made man in his own image. So, so man was already like God in a sense that we were in his image. Now, don't hear me wrong. We were not God. And we were not perfect in, 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 in the ways that God is perfect. But we were already made in his image. We were like God. That means that there was, there was no sin. There was no death. And then in Genesis 3, the serpent comes, and, and what does he do? He tells Eve, oh, if you really want to be like God, rebel against him. And so she took and she ate, and Adam took and he ate. And because of that, rebellion and sin and death entered into the world. The wisdom of mankind is futile. 
It just is. I don't care how wise you are, how wise you think you are, your wisdom is never going to be on the same level as God. He's perfect. He's all-knowing. And David recognizes this. And so in verse 7, the very first thing that David mentions is that he will bless the Lord, and it is the Lord who gives him counsel. I love that the first thing that David kind of recognizes is that it is all God, that all the goodness that he has and all the goodness that he's seen and all the the things that are good and profitable come from God. David recognizes that. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and in the night he also, my heart also instructs me. So when we look at this, what David is saying is the counsel he's gotten does not come from his own wisdom, and it doesn't come necessarily from the wisdom of others, but it comes from God. Now, in David's day, there were a lot of gods that were clamoring for people to worship, right? The Babylonian gods, the Phoenician gods, all these gods existed, these little g gods. And what was happening was that so many of even the children of God, the Israelites, were falling victim to worshiping these idols. And here's what I think is, is kind of kind of crazy, at least for me, is I, I tend to look at Israel uh, very critically sometimes. Uh, especially in the Old Testament, I look at the Hebrews very critically, and I go, man, you guys just don't get it. What is wrong with you? I mean, God's led you through the desert. He led you through the Red Sea. He spared you out of Egypt. He did all these amazing things. You've seen David defeat Goliath. You've seen all this incredible stuff. How can you not trust God? How can you trust these false gods, these weak gods, these impotent gods who don't offer anything? And then I have to pause and take a look at my life and go, oh, There's a lot of gods in my life, too, that are clamoring for my worship and my attention. Now, maybe those are not the gods of Baal. They're the gods of success, the gods of wealth, the gods of relationships. You can insert anything here. So although maybe our gods have different names, we're in the same position that David's in. And, and seniors specifically, I'm talking to you in this moment, when you go to college, and you already know this, but as you go to college, there's going to be a lot of gods that are vying for your attention and your worship and your time. And if you trust in your wisdom to say no to those things, you will succumb. You know how I know that? Because I've walked that path. But praise be to God that we can know what is true and what is right. But it's not because of anything that we can do or that we know. It's all about trusting in the Lord and his plan for us. The gods of pride, possessions, they will reach out and they will rob you. They'll rob you of affection. They'll rob you of worship. They'll rob you of all the things that God wants to give you. And it happens so easily. Right? We don't even see it coming. I want you to understand this, that that Satan isn't dumb. And Satan's greatest asset is that he can make things look appealing that are actually deadly. Right? That's what Satan does. That's what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Oh, this fruit is good to eat. God doesn't want you to eat it because he knows that you'll really be like him if you eat this fruit. And we buy into the lie. Not only did Adam and Eve buy into it, we buy into it. Day after day after day after day. We buy into the lie that if we simply do what we want to do, that it's okay. And the gods of this world get their hooks in us. And it's only by the mercy and the power of God that we can be free. So when David says that it is God that has counseled him, what he is saying is this. Any counsel we receive that is good and righteous comes from God alone. Any counsel that you see that it, receive that is good, that is righteous, it's not because of your wisdom or someone else's wisdom. It's because God is using them or using you to speak truth. And conversely, any wisdom that you receive that goes against the Bible, that goes against God's word, that goes against his nature, is wicked advice. It's wicked we are told that this Bible that we read and believe in should be not only a book that we open up the pages to and occasionally look at and highlight a few things. This is to be the lens by which we view everything in our world. And if this is the lens, if this is the, the thing that we're looking through, then God's wisdom should be clear. But if we throw the lenses away then we're blind. We're left wondering and, and fig, trying to figure out what to do and we wonder why we can't get a break and we wonder why life is just beating us up. And then for some crazy reason we have the audacity to say, well, God, it's your fault. Where are you, God? Why are you letting me suffer? We have nothing and no one to blame but ourselves if we do not use God's word as the source of wisdom. So students, when you go to college, adults, when you go to work tomorrow, the lens that you need to view all things through is through the word of God. All things good and righteous come from there. Any wisdom that we seek that is to be good and right must be sought intentionally from God. We have to have purpose and our purpose is this, you exist and I exist for one reason, and that is to bring God glory. So if you're receiving wisdom that is glorifying to God, that's good. That's good wisdom. It's good counsel. Take that. Go with it. But if you're receiving counsel that would rob God of his glory or even rob you of your affection for God, turn away from that stuff. It will lead you down a path and a trajectory that will be difficult to come back from. We look for wisdom in a lot of places. And sometimes we look for wisdom not just in the people that we know, but in places that we know. And sometimes the places we look for wisdom are just as bad as the people from whom we seek it. R.C. Sproul, the great pastor, said this, Perhaps worse than looking for wisdom in all the wrong places is looking for wisdom for all the wrong reasons. If you're looking for wisdom to only satisfy what you want, it's the wrong reason. If you're looking at wisdom to try to uh, corroborate something that goes against God's word but that you really want to do, it's the wrong reason. 
the only reason that we should seek wisdom is to figure out how best we can glorify the Father. That's the goal, the purpose, and the reason that everyone in this room and everyone on this planet exists ultimately is to glorify God. Here's what I love, too, about this passage. David mentions that even in the nighttime, there is instruction. Now, nighttime is typically associated with darkness, right? We, we think about um, nighttime is typically the time when, for those of us who have small kids, that, that we have to check under the bed and make sure the closets are open, that there's nothing hiding in the closets because nighttime brings darkness. And, and darkness is a little bit scarier than light. Why? Because in the darkness, we can't always see, Right? I don't, think that it's, I don't think anybody has a fear of the dark. I think people have a fear of what's in the dark, right? You don't fear the dark. You fear the unknown. You fear what's in there. And the nighttime is often the, the bringer of darkness. And so when we think about nighttime, sometimes we, that's when our thoughts go crazy and that's when our imaginations go wild and we start getting all these fears. And I love that David addresses that. He's affirming that even in the darkness... There's no reason to fear because God is there in the dark just like he is there in the light. And then if you think back to, or think forward, I guess, to the New Testament, in John chapter 1, we're told that in the light, darkness cannot survive. When David mentions this, what he is doing is talking about the kind of security and wisdom that only come from the believer in Christ. And it's, he's leading us forward into Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, which says, Therefore I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Therefore be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is what makes God look glorious. Is when we stop letting the world Tell us what we're supposed to be. When we stop conforming to its patterns and we say, no, I will be transformed by the power of God. And that's where wisdom is found. We go down to verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David's doing something pretty amazing here. He's making a practical and direct decision that he is going to put the Lord at the front and the focus of his life. And it's the same type of decision that each of us ultimately has to, to make. Are we going to say the Lord is number one? Are we going to make him the top priority? Are we going to say that, that everything else pales in comparison to him? Or are we going to say, Lord, you take a back seat. I'm going to do what I want to do, and then when I get in trouble, I'll come back. And let's be honest, a lot of us live in that second area. We want to do things our way. We want what we want. We want it in our timing. And if God says, no, that's not the way this works, we get angry at him. And then when everything falls apart, we go, oh, God, I need help. What David is saying is drastically different. He is saying there is a difference between knowing who God is and knowing God. There's a massive difference in those two things. There is a chasm between believing God exists and trusting God with your life. Massive difference. And what David is saying 
is I will trust you with my life. I will give everything to you. You are the fount of wisdom. He's not telling God that he's just a priority. He's saying, God, you're the priority. You're the number one thing for me. Without you, everything else falls. I don't have any hope. I don't have any joy. I don't have any wisdom apart from you. And so when he makes this statement, it's profound. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Now, we know David's life wasn't perfect. In fact, it was marked with a whole lot of imperfection. And yet he's still going back and he's saying, but I want to put you at the forefront always. I want to I try my best to always make sure that it's all about you. And because he does this, he says, I will not be shaken. Because the Lord is at my right hand, because the Lord is near me, I will not be shaken. The same message is true for us. The Lord at our right hand, we will not be shaken. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that when we put the Lord at the forefront of everything and make him the top priority, that the difficult times go away. And it doesn't mean that heartache goes away. And it doesn't mean that hardship goes away. It doesn't mean that death goes away. It doesn't mean that suffering goes away. What it means is that even in the midst of those things, we can be resolute that God is good because he is with us. And that our joy is not found in anything but him. You know how we know this? Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see the same passage. Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23 all record the same message. And it's this. If anyone wants to be a follower of Christ, they must take up their cross and follow after him. Here's what that means. You want to be a believer in Christ? It costs you something. It's costly. And any version of following Jesus that costs you nothing is worth nothing. I want you to really hear that and soak that in. If your version of following Christ costs you nothing, then it is likely worth nothing. Jesus doesn't say, I want some of you. He says, I want all of you. In fact, I want you to die to self and come to live in me. And he says, not only when you do that will you live, but you will live abundantly. This is the message of the cross. This is the message of the resurrection. This is the gospel of Jesus. And although David wrote this well before Christ existed, we can see such prophetic message in what David said. What's the ultimate result of this kind of action when we make Jesus number one? The Lord is near to us, and even when life throws everything it has at us, we can trust in him. The great Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, uh, has a saying that I love. And this is what it says. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I love that. Because here's what he's saying. Even when trials come, even when hardship comes, even when difficulties come, I'm okay with it because what it does is it forces me to trust in Christ even more. He's not saying that God has released me from hardships, but he's saying that he is with me in those hardships. And because those hardships come, man, my foundation is firm. And I will not be shaken. Seniors, adults in the room, 
you're going to encounter innumerable amounts of temptation. You're going to be tempted to do all kinds of things and led in all sorts of ways. But if you cling to God as your first love and priority, you can know that you may be rattled, but you won't be shaken. You may be rattled, but you won't be shaken. Second thing, very quickly, that we're going to get to, that we get as Christians, it can't be taken away. First is wisdom, the second is joy. And not just joy, but joy and security. We know that David's life was marked with suffering, right? We see that. And yet there is an ultimate reality of gladness in suffering. How is that possible? Because the benefits of following God far outweigh the hardships. We may not see that very clearly sometimes, but the benefits of trusting in Jesus far outweigh the difficulties of trusting in Jesus. Even if it costs you everything, the benefits are still greater. Much like David, we must understand that suffering for God and rejoicing in God are not mutually exclusive. They're just not. So you can suffer for the name of Christ and still have joy in the name of Christ. Those two things go hand in hand. The New Testament writers, so many of them tell us so on and so on and so on that that we, when we encounter persecution, when we encounter trials, when we encounter tribulation, trust in the Lord and praise his name. Ultimate joy is not found anywhere else in this world except through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, finally here. It says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. David is showcasing the kind of security that God provides. And he's not talking about the security of wealth or health or prosperity or anything like that. Please don't get wrapped up in those kinds of things. The Bible never, ever promises that if we trust in the Lord that all of our health will be fine, that we'll have money, that we'll have prosperity. It never promises that. It just doesn't. That is a false gospel. The security that David is talking about is one of an eternal sense that has far more value than anything we can imagine. Even when our life is dismayed, the ultimate hope for the Christian is that death is simply a comma for us. It's a comma. It's not the end. The end is glory and victory in Jesus. Now, what David did not know at this time is something that we can look at and know now, and that's this, is that he was unintentionally making a very prophetic statement here. You see, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, Peter actually quotes this direct psalm uh, while he's preaching at Pentecost. And I want you just to look at the result of what Peter said. I'm going to read this to you. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read this. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. He says, Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, and Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent your sins and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone from whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many others, in many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. 
Peter's preaching the same text that we're reading today in Psalm 16. And what he's promising them is the same promise that we have. That those who trust in Jesus have an eternal security that can never, ever, ever be taken away or robbed. There is security, there is firmness, there is hope in Jesus. And when we seek that kind of security and that firmness and that hope and joy in any other place, it falls. It falls because only Jesus can sustain. Only Jesus can satisfy. And I truly believe that one of the reasons we don't follow Jesus the way we should is because ultimately we don't believe that he can really be the ultimate source of satisfaction. We somehow believe, we buy into the lie that we can be satisfied by something else. I'm pleading with you to listen to this today. Ultimate satisfaction doesn't come from any place except Christ. That's it. Jesus fulfills the hope that David proclaimed. In him is everlasting joy, salvation, and hope. I love that David even says, you won't let your holy one see corruption. Again, this is prophetic because Jesus is God's holy one. Here's what I love. Even death couldn't hold down Jesus. Tried. Satan gave it his best. But even death could not stop Jesus. God's holy one did not see corruption. And here's the great news for you and for me. Because Jesus could not be held by death, neither can we. That is the great promise of salvation. Through Jesus Christ alone, through salvation alone, by faith alone, with grace alone, we are saved for eternity. And nothing can rob you of that. It is because of Christ and because of his work on the cross and the resurrection that you and I can proudly, boldly, and joyfully proclaim today that death is not the end. It cannot hold us down. The holy ones of God will not see corruption because of Christ. That's the promise of God. David ends this passage by reminding himself and us that pursuing God along this path will be fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. David Kidner says this, the conclusion of the Psalms is especially wonderful when we consider how it began. The refugee of verse 1 finds himself an heir and his inheritance beyond all imagining and exploring. Life will be hard. Seniors, life is about to get more difficult and crazy. But the encouraging news to the seniors in this room, to the adults in this room, to the children in this room, to all of us in this room, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how crazy life gets, we can trust in the Lord securely, not because of your works or my works, but because of the work that only Jesus could do. And it's because of Jesus that we can be bold, we can be joyful, we can exclaim hope, and we have a future. Trust in him. Trust in the Lord, and you will not be shaken. God, we love you.
We don't just say these words as fluff or as something that makes us feel better. But God, we say these words and we proclaim these truths with great confidence. And the confidence is this. No matter what life throws at us, for those of us who trust in the name above all names, there is hope. That even when life seems to go off the rails, there is hope. Even when we are faced with inexplicable circumstances, there is hope. And that hope's name is Jesus. God, my prayer today is that those of us that are in this room, those of us who who know you, that we would rise up and we would proclaim this message. And Father, for those of people in this room who do not know you, you would reach out and you would show them your grace and your love in a way that no one else can. You are good. And we love you so much for all that you've done and all that you continue to do in the lives of your people. Be honored and glorified. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know what God is speaking.